0: welcome 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 to the first 2021 edition of the hokey hangover podcast i am andrew alex live from blacksburg virginia i guess not live because this is a podcast that is pre-recorded and no one is listening to it live however now in the moment i am with the two usual suspects first in the 757 we have ricky la blue ricky what's going on dude are we sure it's 2021?
1: Like, are we, are we positive that we actually started a new year? Because I'm pretty sure that this year sucks just as much as last year.
0: Well, you know, I I said on Twitter yesterday, I said, my dry January, which for me is, I'm just not going to drink on the weekdays that, (laughs) that did not factor in that the, there would be a, attempted overthrow of the government on a Wednesday, first Wednesday of the year. So we we kind of backed out of that slowly like Homer Simpson into the bushes, but we're back. And I know someone who's not making any weekday drinking resolutions. He's in Northern Virginia and his name is Mike McDaniel. Mike, what's good, bro?
2: Just hanging in there. I mean, we've made it a full week into 2021, barely, but we've gotten there so far so good as we sit here and record on the 7th of January.
0: Yeah, the seven-day free trial not going as well as some would have anticipated. Yeah, uh, I, I would like to send it back. I, I've had enough of this shit. <laughs> well, folks, we're sorry we ghosted you guys there for a, a little under a month. The Dwight Vick uh, episode—it seemed like we got a really good amount of positive feedback from that one. You guys enjoyed that, and our little holiday break is over. We are ready here in 2021 to continue giving you guys content, and we couldn't do that if it wasn't for the good folks over at Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg is the pharmacy that you want to go to if you want a pharmacy that truly cares about you. If you want to be treated like a neighbor rather than a number, look no further than Main Street Pharmacy. Dr. Jeremy Kautz and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need. Well, gentlemen, The 2020 football season came to a close as 2020 came to a close. I think all Hokie fans are thinking the same thing. Hopefully we have exited the first year in a long time and hopefully the only year for a long time where Virginia tech finished the football season with a losing record. That being said, Justin Fuente on the hottest of possible seats And he will have to try to right the ship, if that is possible, with a team that, at least from a starting lineup perspective, is going to look very different at a number of key positions. I want to start with a couple of guys that transferred out of the program. And this might seem like old news, but at least today, on January 7th, we have gotten a little update on it. First, it was Quincy Patterson heading to the transfer portal. He will head to North Dakota State with the FCS powerhouse Bisons. Today, we learned that Hendon Hooker, the starting quarterback for Virginia Tech for the better part of the last two years, is now headed to Tennessee. Braxton Burmeister remains the only quarterback with meaningful experience on Virginia Tech's roster. He will be backed up right now by Knox Kadum and the incoming freshman Taj Bullock. I want to start with with Quincy here. He heads to North Dakota State. I think that the Virginia Tech fan base loves Quincy and, and we all want to see him succeed. He was a gritty guy when he stepped in for Virginia Tech. He always seemed like he laid everything out on the line and at times, notably that North Carolina game back in 2019 that went to six overtimes, was able to bring some success for the Hokies. North Dakota State, like I said, the powerhouse. Two quarterbacks, presumably. We assume that Trey Lance will be a first-round pick in this 2021 NFL draft. Of course, you can look back a couple years. North Dakota State's Carson Wentz but number two to the Eagles. If you're Quincy Patterson, what's your goal here? Is it going down to a little bit lower of a level to try to develop as a passer, maybe get your shot at the next level? That's kind of how I see it. Mike and Ricky, what do you guys think?
1: Yeah, it's kind of both. Um, North Dakota State has shown they have the ability to send guys to the league. Carson, obviously the biggest example there. Trey Lance is going to go Easton Stick is technically in the league, although he hasn't really caught on with anyone, at least at the moment, I don't believe. But they have put out some pretty solid quarterbacks over the last five or so years. Um Quincy needs somewhere where he is basically assured the starting job. Um, he's going to need time to grow in an offense. Uh, the sooner he can get there to, to North Dakota state, the better, if I remember correctly on his Instagram, he was there a couple days ago, uh, which is good for him because he needs to get there and start meeting receivers and meeting guys and start learning the offense as quickly as possible by getting to a lower level of competition Um, getting a chance to to play a full slate. That's about as good of a situation as Quincy could ask for. And the fact that he is going to be doing so at a place that has put out three solid college quarterbacks over the last several seasons is, is, is almost perfect. Um, I'm not all that familiar with North Dakota state's coaching staff. So I don't know if this is a, a group that's renowned for their ability to develop quarterbacks, but all things considered, at least from my perspective, I think Quincy couldn't have picked a much better place.
0: And I'd like to note there, Ricky, first of all, good call on the Eastern stick. That's a solid, uh, solid <laughs> trivia there. <laughs> The FCS, now remember North Dakota State, and for you NFL draft junkies, you might notice this, they didn't really play in the fall. They had one game, Trey Lance went out there, balled out, and that's pretty much all NFL scouts got to see of Trey Lance in 2020. That being said, FCS football is postponed to the spring. North Dakota State kicks off on February 21st against Youngstown State. So if Quincy can go in there, learn the offense and pick things up quickly over these next two months, he has the opportunity to really have a second chance at life here in what was the 2020 season. So with the extra year of eligibility, I I think it's a really good fit and if you're a Virginia Tech fan who I think most of us were fans of Quincy Patterson because of his character because of his demeanor because of the way that he went out there and laid everything out on the line and you want something when you when you're football hungry after the Super Bowl on February 7th North Dakota State football if you got like an ESPN 3 or an ESPN plus account I, I know I'll be watching Mike you like the fit
2: yeah, Ricky said just about everything I would say. I mean, I think it's a really good fit. It's a school that historically has put quarterbacks in the league. I know the coaching staff is still relatively new because Chris Kleiman used to coach there. Now he coaches at Kansas State, but I think they did keep some continuity from the prior staff there um, when he moved on and, and moved up a level to the FPS. <clears throat> but yeah, I think it's a good fit uh, for Quincy. I mean, I, I think what Ricky mentioned is absolutely right. Like, he needs an opportunity to showcase what he can do with his arm. Um, he needs an opportunity to, you know, learn that offense and grow within the offense. And, you know, he'll be a red sophomore again. So he'll have three years of eligibility remaining when he gets there and having the spring football element added into the mix. If he's able to pick up that offense quickly enough, like you mentioned, Andrew, he's going to have an opportunity here to really just have kind of one continuous football season, right? I mean, he's going from one, at Virginia Tech to having essentially quote unquote, two months off, so to speak, and then go right into a new one with North Dakota State, especially with Trey Lance moving on to the NFL. So the opportunities there for Quincy, um, assuming that he's healthy. I know he was a little bit banged up uh, right before he ended up transferring out um, of Virginia Tech, but uh, as assuming he's healthy, I think it's a good fit, and I think he'll have the ability to showcase what he can do with his arm and um, have a little bit better opportunity for playing time, which is something that he clearly wasn't going to get on a consistent basis at Blacksburg.
0: Yeah, and that's what we saw when he was in Blacksburg. And the last thing I'll say about Quincy, maybe going to that lower level to develop is the one thing that really gives him a shot to possibly make it to the next level. And I know a lot of people are saying, oh, Andrew, Quincy Patterson next level, he was third string at Virginia Tech. Quincy Patterson, where he played high school ball in Chicago, it it was not a dominant talent pool. Quincy, based on his athletic ability alone, could simply do whatever he wanted. He made that jump to the ACC, and it was hard to develop as a passer and make adjustments on the fly. And it was clear that Justin Fuente, Brad Cornelson weren't going to throw him in games and let him kind of learn how to play the pocket passer style of quarterback when he simply wasn't ready. Three years, like Mike said, redshirt sophomore right now at North Dakota State, at least gives him an opportunity to develop while getting in-game experience because from a pure size, frame, speed, everything other than you know quarterback awareness and accuracy – Quincy Patterson has all the tools to be the prototype of what these NFL guys are looking for in the draft. He he, quite frankly looks a lot like Trey Lance, the guy who he's replacing. He's just got to be more accurate of a passer. And I'm not saying it's going to happen, but he's giving himself a chance. And I like that. Otherwise though, like we said, a couple of quarterbacks transferring. One was the guy at Virginia tech for the better part of two years. And that's Hendon hooker hooker leaves on Could you call it a sour note between what happened in Clemson not getting the start against UVA? A a lot of questions in the air there. I don't have any inside information as to what happened, but from a body language perspective, you can read the room. It did not look like things were going good at the end there with Hendon Hooker and Virginia Tech. He picks today, January the 7th, the University of Tennessee. Yes, Hendon Hooker headed to Rocky Top, He'll be an SEC quarterback, gentlemen. I don't know how to feel about the fit. So I'm going to ask Ricky LaBlue what he thinks. Ricky, what do you think? Hendon Hooker in the SEC?
1: Mike and I discussed this before we started recording. I think it's a really bad fit. Um, Mike and I have differing opinions on this just because we look at it from a different perspective. We kind of agree on this bit here. And that's, I don't think Hendon is really going to be have a great year over at Tennessee. The program's not in a great great place right now. The talent level's not all that great. They're going to have – he's going to face a tougher schedule at Tennessee than he's faced his entire career at Virginia Tech. The SEC East, even though it's not the better of the two divisions, it's still far and away better than the ACC Coastal. Uh, Just in terms of overall talent level and depth, um, defense is played differently in the SEC. It just is. Um, Hendon has a lot of growing to do and I don't think that he's going to be able to do a lot of growing against that level of competition I think Hendon would have been much better suited going to a group of five program Um, you can kind of take your pick but he would have faced way way easier competition Um, he would have been in offenses that were much more high tempo, much more high scoring, and it would have given him a chance to to really go balls to the wall and try and showcase everything he can do. Things are different in the SEC. I don't think that it's going to go particularly well. Um, and that, and that's a shame because I actually do like Hendon Hooker, and, and maybe he'll prove me wrong, but I just don't think it's a great fit uh, because I don't think it's going to accomplish what you do when you transfer. When you transfer, the goal is to – showcase and improve and I don't think he's going to really do either of those two things at Tennessee
0: Mike apparently you're more on the optimistic side of this issue tell me why
2: well like Ricky mentioned I look at it from a little bit different lens right so I don't necessarily disagree with Ricky from the standpoint of where the Tennessee program is and you know whether or not headed hooker will have success from a win loss standpoint or even from just him playing well standpoint it's It's tough to go play in the SEC East. Like Ricky mentioned, it's much tougher than the ACC Coastal. That's all correct. I looked at it from a little bit different lens. And again, I agree with everything Ricky just mentioned. I definitely do. But I look at it from the standpoint of offensive fit, assuming that the coaching staff remains the same, which as of today on January 7th, Tennessee. Yeah, who
1: knows the Tennessee, right?
2: Right. Like Tennessee has a, right now, has the same coaching staff in place. Now, I did see a piece today from ESPN. There was a report that Tennessee was putting a freeze on some of their contract extensions for assistant coaches because there have been some inquiries into potential recruiting violations for Jeremy Pruitt. So if that's the case and there are some shakeups to the coaching staff, this could be a disaster for Hendon Hooker. Um, But if they keep the same coaching staff, again, it's it's been kind of stagnant. Tennessee was up and down this year, more down than up. Jarek Arantano, a quarterback, did not play particularly well, but I think the offense itself is a fit for Hendon Hooker. I also think Hendon Hooker has a very good chance, obviously, to win the starting quarterback job at Tennessee. So from that standpoint, offensive fit um, and the ability to play right away, I think it is a fit for Hendon Hooker. Now. The second part of the conversation is what Ricky was just mentioning. How successful will he be with, A, the talent around him, and, B, what he has to go against on a weekly basis against defenses in the SEC? One thing that Ricky brought up before we hit record that I want to bring up now, Ricky, because you didn't mention it, was Vanderbilt's bringing in Clark Lee. Good luck with that, right? That's another defense that you have to play that, you know, may not be great right away, but will still probably be pretty good if Hendon Hooker, you know, remains on campus there. Uh, at tennessee for two more years which is what the expectation is at this point um vanderbilt will have a much better defense in year two than in year one and quite honestly under Derek mason the defense wasn't really the issue at vanderbilt it was the offense so there's still talent to be had there um facing a vanderbilt defense and that's before you even talk about florida and georgia you know teams that you're going to have to play on an annual basis and then going up against truthfully a south carolina defense that hasn't been too bad so it's a different caliber of talent in the SEC East. There's no doubt about it. Even though it's the easier of the two divisions in the SEC, I still think you know there's opportunity that Hendon could potentially struggle. But uh, it'll be interesting to see because if he does play well, he could significantly boost his draft stock. But it's a big if. There are a lot of question marks, especially considering the up and down nature of his play this year at Virginia Tech against easier competition.
1: Also, really quick, guess who else is on the schedule for Tennessee next year? I just looked. Pitt.
0: In Alabama. (laughs) Best of luck. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Mike, you mentioned draft stock there, and I I don't know if anyone who has watched Hendon Hooker play, at this point at least in his career, thinks of him as a serious potential NFL quarterback. Now, you got to think back to the season. What was a reoccurring issue for Virginia Tech? It was their lack of aggressive play on third down that essentially was chalked up to Fuente and the crew not putting trust in the passing game to get a third and seven to the point where they would rather run the ball on third and seven to try to get to fourth and two because they thought that gave them a better shot. Now, you could put part of that on the Virginia Tech wide receiving core, which this year was a group that left a lot to be desired that being said the sec is a different animal man especially those defenses in the sec and you know ricky you mentioned earlier you said the sec east is better than the acc coastal i, I think that almost any division in power five football on a year-to-year basis is going to be better than the acc coastal Certainly, I, lately, yeah yeah i mean that's just the way it's been lately for sure I I question it. I hope for the best for him. He was, at his best, a very fun player to watch. I I think that he may have taken more uh, of the burden of the blame as quarterback this year in a scheme where lack of wide receivers was an issue. And, of course, you had the defense on the other side for the first half of the season relying on Hendon and that offense to just keep the motor going over and over and over again. And for a while, they were able to. But that being said, this was not what I thought was going to happen. I mean, there were people talking about him transferring to North Carolina A&T in FCS school where his father was one of the all-time greats. I never bought that, but I thought maybe an American conference, like a South Florida, a a Memphis, for that matter, would have been a more realistic fit because it would have given him the ability to ball out. And I
2: yeah. yeah, So
0: that's kind of – where I stand on it, but you hope for the best for him. And, you know, this Tennessee program has been, quite frankly, a disaster dating back to basically that battle at Bristol.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And Andrew, Andrew, even if the consensus, and I don't necessarily disagree with you, like I don't think at this point that Hendon Hooker is an NFL quarterback, but even if the consensus is that he's not, he has not pulled the trigger going to Tennessee if he doesn't think that he is or has the capability to be that guy. So I, I, Best of luck to him. That's a tough ask. But I like the fit from an offensive scheme standpoint for him. It's just a matter of how well it actually works out in
0: practice. Well, I mean, it's clear. They want him, right? They want him, so they see something in him. And it's one of the rules of life, gentlemen. Bet on yourself. And that's what Hooker Hooker's doing. More power to him. That being said, let's just take a quick look at the Virginia Tech quarterback room. As I mentioned before, Braxton Burmeister, the one guy with meaningful experience on the roster as it stands right now, you would assume he's QB1. There's a lot of time left in this transfer portal, potential pickup period of time. There's, I think a couple of clashing schools of thought on this issue, right? You wanna get a legitimate quarterback to come in and push Burmeister, but you don't wanna scare Burmeister off by getting too close to I mean like obviously if you get Gerard Evans you take him but there were rumors that Burmeister was the one that was going to transfer out and then Hooker just did it first so he's like oh I'm the starting quarterback I'll stay to what extent that's true I cannot tell you that being said my thought process is that Virginia Tech is going to keep attacking the portal and get someone that, that plays the role of an A.J. Bush when they brought him in someone who can push the incumbent starter maybe not really push him like there's not going to be too much of a controversy but at the end you have a competent backup what do you guys think about virginia tech's quarterback situation and if you have any specific ideas of who they could pursue in the portal at that position please let me know
1: i don't have any ideas um Frankly, I've been thinking about way more things than quarterbacks in the transfer board over the last couple of weeks. Um, thankfully, I don't get paid to actually do that stuff. But if that's the route that they're going to take and they're going to go find someone who doesn't actually challenge Braxton Burmeister for the starting job, then that is exactly the kind of small-time mentality that's going to get Justin Fuente fired in the next season or two. Um, that's crap. If they, it, the, the, To me... Going that route would be almost waving the white flag. There there was nothing that I saw last year that should make anyone feel uber comfortable about Braxton Burmeister being the quarterback number one heading into next year. There were times when he looked halfway decent, but at no point did Braxton Burmeister just take things by the reins and start kicking everyone's ass. So it, it would be a very, very small time. Of Justin Fuente and the staff, if that's the route they're going to take. Now, if there's no one available, there's no one available. But if there's someone out there, and you refuse to go after them because you're afraid of of giving Braxton Burmeister bad vibes, then I'm sorry, that's crap. Braxton Burmeister hasn't earned that kind of treatment, um, and it would negatively affect them on the field because you don't need someone worse than Braxton Burmeister in the room. You need someone at least as good as Braxton, if not better, because quite frankly, Braxton was very average at best.
0: Well, first of all, good vibes, a good word to use when talking about Braxton Burmeister's emotions, as he is from California. (laughs) Um, I'm a little higher on Burmeister than you. I mean, he struggled in games that Virginia Tech won early on, but before he got hurt against Clemson and against UVA, I'm not saying I'm uber confident, right? Uber confident would be a very strong term. That's the kind of stuff that you say when you have Deshaun Watson as your starting quarterback.
1: Yeah, I just think it would be it would be ill-advised to go into 2021 with a quarterback room that screams Braxton Burmeister's quarterback one. I think you have to have a legitimate quarterback competition. And Knox Catum sure is sure is heck not going to provide that. So there has to be another option that can provide a legitimate challenge to Braxton Burmeister because, frankly, I don't think he is even on
0: average um, level across the country. I think he's a bit below. The jury would still be out, but I mean, it would be hard. there's not hard evidence to say he is he's great by any means.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I'll, I'll admit that I've definitely been down on Braxton from the start because I have, Um, but my opinion really hasn't changed given what we've seen.
0: I agree with you, Ricky. This is college football, and the scaring off Braxton Burmeister's theory, that would be a small-time mentality for a coaching staff that is literally standing on the ledge, (laughs) right? Like, you you got to do everything you can. But But even, that being said, there's not that many, by the nature of college football, great quarterbacks in the portal at any given period of time. People who are established into starting roles usually continue to retain them. But do you guys agree that even if you can't get someone great, you have to get the AJ Bush type middling quarterback that in the event that Braxton Burmeister were to get injured or something next year, even if he is the de facto starter going into camp, you need to have someone not named Knox Kadum, someone with a little more, experience in a power five program to create some sort of a safety net for you because we, we know how this offense works and I've been told that a lot of the reason that Henson Hooker wanted to transfer was because he didn't he was just sick and tired of running the damn ball every play you get beat up like crazy and I mean that's kind of what you sign up go, for going into the offense but we've seen it now once or twice with Burmeister that he, he's gotten knocked out of a game because he he's a more slender guy and um, it would just be a terrifying prospect to go in with him as the only ACC caliber quarterback in the room. Not saying that the freshman Bullock won't be one day, but you got a redshirt your three-star quarterback. I mean, that's the way it goes, right? You, you got to get, get someone somebody. else in there. You have to get somebody. got to get someone else in there.
2: Yeah. So I, I agree with a majority of what's been said, I think this actual conversation about who's going to be the backup to Burmeister or who's going to come in to challenge Burmeister, if there will be somebody to come in to challenge Burmeister, totally hinges on how the coaching staff feels about Knox Catum, right? Um, now, I think reasonably speaking, they flipped him from James Madison. So there's a ceiling that you can put on Knox Katum, the prospect, right? Um, but that doesn't mean that all of a sudden he's not a capable quarterback if he comes in the game. I will say that I was impressed with how he played in a really terrible, shitty situation he was thrown into against Clemson. Um, But with that being said, it's going to totally hinge on how the coaching staff feels about Knox Kadem playing significantly if Braxton Burmeister, like we've seen in the past, you guys both brought this up, gets knocked out of the game, right? Because I think it's safe to say based on the quarterback room right now, Braxton Burmeister is clearly QB one, right? And then it's Katem as QB two and Bullock is, you know, you got a redshirt, shirt, right? And I, I like his potential. I like his size and, and what he brings to the table. I, I did like his film. He comes from a very good high school in New Jersey for football. He's a very good football player. Uh, but I think he needs a year to kind of learn the offense and um, you know, have that year of development. And hopefully it's a, a semi-normal or mostly normal off season. I know we're, trying to head out of COVID with vaccines coming out and stuff like that. But hopefully he has the benefit of a semi-normal offseason. That way, you know, he can get that development that he needs uh, when it doesn't really matter, i.e. in games, right. We don't have to throw him out there against, you know, Pittsburgh or something next season. Uh, but yeah, I think it totally hinges on Knox and, and what he brings to the table, what the coaching staff believes. I look, Fuente said after the Clemson game in the press conference, he said, you know, Kadem has a chance to develop into a really good quarterback at Virginia Tech. Who knows if that's actually coach speak and what he actually believes. Um, Actions speak louder than words. But I agree with Ricky. I think you got to try to bring somebody in uh, to really contest and push for his starting job. Because every single year that Fuente's been in Blacksburg, he's had a guy pushing for the incumbent starter, right? And whether it's been just kind of, you know, The smokescreen game with like Josh Jackson in year two where, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, I mean, Hooker's pushing for his job, but Jackson ended up actually being the starter. Whether it's actually that or it's a situation where there actually is a quarterback competition like there was with Gerard Evans uh, and Josh Jackson in year one for Fuente. Regardless of what that situation is, we know that Fuente loves spring competition Uh, Into the quarterback room and right now I don't think they have it like they've had in recent years like last year was probably the best situation possible from a depth perspective for the quarterback room at Virginia Tech. And going into this year it's almost the polar opposite of that right you got a quarterback who struggled to perform in the first couple games of the year in Braxton Burmeister but then played really well against UVA. And now he is essentially going to come into the year as it stands right now as your starting quarterback. And then you got a guy in Knox Gatum who has played like a quarter of football at the ACC level. And then you have a true freshman behind him. So you've kind of just gone from opposite ends of the spectrum in the quarterback room. And it'll be interesting to see if this is how the room remains or if they do end up bringing somebody in via the transfer portal.
0: Fun Andrew fact of the day here. Bullock, Taj Bullock, the incoming freshman quarterback, From my neck of the woods in northern New Jersey, went to football powerhouse St. Peter's Prep. Now, my little high school did not normally play St. Peter's Prep, but we did in the seven-on-sevens during the summer. And one time during a seven-on-seven during the summer, your boy, Andrew Alex, was lined up against a guy on St. Peter's named Minka Fitzpatrick. You can only guess how that went. Oh, God. Yeah, only guess how that went for me is Pittsburgh Steelers playing Jimmy Cleveland's Cleveland Browns this weekend go Browns they're gonna have they're gonna need some help with their coach out with COVID. That being said, though, I, I think that Burmeister raises questions right and the quarterback situation is not ideal, but looking at what we have on a first thought process depth chart quarterbacks not what worries me the most. What worries me the most is the offensive line, and that goes to our other key transfers here, gentlemen. Brian Hudson and Doug Nestor, both out the door. Sayonara. See you. Two offensive linemen at the top of their class. Nestor, actually the highest-ranked offensive line recruit that Virginia Tech has got since 24-7 started keeping track of this kind of stuff. They flipped him from Ohio State, the West Virginia native, after a couple years heading back to West Virginia, take me home country roads. He's going to WVU. So Virginia tech, will see him next year. Hudson, on the other hand, from Louisville, Kentucky, well-documented. If you're like a crazy person fan, like we all are that his parents were like arguing with Brock Hoffman's parents on Twitter, kind of an ugly scene. Totally not what you want to see, especially when you got to line up next to the guy every day in practice. And of course, on the field during games when it matters. That being said, those two subtractions, plus TJ Jackson hits the portal. He didn't get a ton of playing time. And of course, Christian Derrissaw, one of, I have always said, the best players and certainly the best development stories that Virginia Tech has ever had at any position. Derrissaw right now slated to probably be a first round pick I don't see him dropping any lower than the second round. A lot of questions on the offensive line. Gentlemen, tell me what you make of of, of Hudson and Nestor. I mean, Darisaw was more expected, but this vice squad that was, was such a focal point going into the season and, and early on during the season is going to be a relatively depleted group heading into 2021. What, what do you gentlemen think about this? Well, they got
1: Johnny Jordan from Maryland. Um, I'm not really sure what to expect from him, quite honestly. Um, getting or getting Lasita Smith to come back is huge. Um, I think he has a chance to be probably like a day two draft pick at, at best, um, not this coming year, but possibly the next year. I think he has turned into quite the guard um after coming into virginia tech as a tight end he's been very very impressive there uh obviously brock hoffman i guess is coming back which i mean look brock is brock is brock i, I mean I, I, I don't know what to say at this point anymore like i think he's a good center i do not think he's a great center i think he needs to get his act together on the field um the the unsportsmanlike penalties were just absolutely ridiculous um i'm not really going to comment on the brian hudson hoffman stuff because quite frankly i don't know what the hell exactly was going on there but i saw the screenshots and lordy me that was a mess um johnny jordan though just a quick note on him tech recruited him heavily back in 20 uh 2017 um they actually thought they were going to get him and they ended up going to maryland so he's someone that they're at least familiar with um, uh, jesse hansen is a guy that i think could step in um, I thought he might have moved ahead of someone like Brian Hudson from the start, because I thought Hanson was a bit higher on Tech's board actually. Uh, but I think he has the potential to maybe climb into a, a role there. Uh, and, and at tackle, I think it's going to be up to Luke Tenuta to kind of overcome some of those inconsistencies that have plagued him since he started playing. Um, he certainly has the highest ceiling there at tackle, but um there's definitely going to be some questions here and the, the longevity of Vance Vice's development is going to be tested this year because we've seen what he can do over the last couple of years and now he's turned some of these guys into really rock solid players, but can he do it again? It's going to be hard um, and I, I'm not convinced that the line is going to be all that great, but I do think he can get to the offensive line to where they're at least competent. I just don't think it's going to be, this giant asset that it was for most of 2020.
0: I'll say, you know, thank God for Luke Tenuta, because that was a guy who didn't come in with the accolades that say Hudson and Nestor did, but yeah, at times has played really solid football. There's a reason he was holding down that right tackle spot for the better part of the last two seasons when most people, myself included, figured that they might throw Nestor out there. Now it is unfortunate to lose Nestor and Hudson was good too. Nestor is tough. Nestor is a guy who you looked at him as a true sophomore this year and said, this is a guy who will be in the NFL one day, all of the pro football focus and what have you, the people who are queued in and know how to scout these things would agree. He was developing at the pace that you needed to see for him to eventually make a run in the pros. And you lose that, and you lose that not because he was being challenged at a position. And I, I, I don't know why he left. Maybe he wanted to be closer to home. Maybe he, it was something against the staff, what have you. But it, it, it's gonna be a sore thing next year up in Morgantown to have our D Line, which has questions of its own, going up against a West Virginia group that will be highlighted by Doug Nestor. But Mike, what, what's your opinion on this offensive line? Where do you think we go from here?
2: I mean, I think it's pretty reasonable to expect the offensive line to take a step back. Uh, Johnny Jordan coming in really helps. Uh, he was honorable, mentioned all Big Ten at center. So assuming that he picks up the offense and he plays to his capability, you know, we expect to slot him in at center, which could kick or likely will kick Brock Hoffman to guard. Now you could have an offensive line with Lasita Smith, Brock Hoffman, Johnny Jordan, Luke Tenuta, and then the question becomes, what are you going to do at left tackle, right? That's the million-dollar question. How do you replace Christian Derisov? And it's not an easy answer, right? For as good as he is, he's, Andrew, to your point, uh, you know, one of the great developmental stories in school history and, you know, for all the shit that the coaching staff catches – at virginia tech this is something they deserve a lot of credit for being able to develop christian derisov um, under Vance vice's tutelage into one of the best offensive linemen in school history so replacing that guy is not going to be easy and i think that's the million dollar question and i think virginia tech is obviously still in the transfer portal kind of looking for answers as to how they can continue to bolster bolster the depth on the offensive line but I think just from a macro level, I think it's pretty safe to assume the offensive line won't be quite as good uh, as it was this past year. Uh, but I still think it has a chance to be pretty good because Johnny Jordan's a pretty good player. But anytime you lose a guy like Christian Derisaw on the offensive line, he's not going to be very easy to replace, especially a guy as important to the line as a left
0: tackle is. Yes. And folks, uh, on the topic of Christian Darrisaw, I subscribe to ESPN+. Plus so you don't have to. And right now, Mel Kuyper, I think, actually, no, check that. Todd McShay dropped his first mock draft of 2021. It has Christian Derrissa going to the Minnesota Vikings at 14. You guys might remember a guy named Caleb Farley. He goes to the 49ers at 12. So, for those of you that are interested. I want to talk about other guys that entered the NFL draft. And Like we said, a lot of attrition one way or another, whether it be the transfer portal or the draft names like Dara saw don't surprise you names like Khalil Herbert who had a career year and he's a running back and every it's like mileage on a car with those knees on a running back. He, He didn't have anything to come back and prove, but there are some more questionable decisions. And for me, that's highlighted by Rayshard Ashby's decision to go pro. Now we remember Ashby, Was he first team or second team all ACC as a linebacker in 2019? Second team. Thank you, Michael. This year was slated in the preseason teams, which mean nothing, as the first team. Whether it was COVID and everything that played into it, changing the defense, Ashby did not have the season that Virginia Tech fans would have hoped for and quite frankly expected. He took a big step back. How, how do we explain that decision? I personally, you know, you know, always for Virginia Tech players, go make your money. I hope for the best, but I see this as a mistake. I think that a, a full year, a full off season, maybe he could have gotten back to that point and raised that stock. What do you guys think? Well, I'm not quite sure
1: he would have been able to raise it much given that the 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 measurements the physical aspect of Ashby's game just is not there bingo Ricky <laughs> um I, I I do think he could have put some better film out there because Jesus his his 2020 season was mostly a mess and um all of those good things that he showed in 2019 he basically erased with with 2020 so maybe he could have helped I guess kind of redirect the narrative surrounding his potential with a a, a strong year of Tate. But in terms of how he translates to the NFL level, I just don't think he has the, the the athleticism and the ability and coverage in order to be seriously considered as a, um, a, an NFL linebacker. I I don't even know if he's athletic enough to play special teams at the NFL level. Let alone actually be a, a linebacker, um, and that sucks because I like Ashby. Uh, I had the opportunity to meet him a couple times, and I, I you know, talk with him, and he's a bright kid. Um, I just don't think that he has the the ceiling there for an NFL team to actually justify taking a chance on him. So maybe he feels like he's better off. Before just taking a shot now and seeing how it goes. I don't know what the linebacker draft class looks like, um, but I don't know. I mean, obviously I, I can't, you know, I can say what I would do if I were him, but I'm not in his shoes. If I were him, I would have come back for another year personally, but I guess I can see it to an extent because even with another year of solid tape on him, I'm not sure that it would have raised his draft stock all that much. I think he
2: got advice that basically told him that even if he did put another year together on film that was much better than 2020, the draft stock wouldn't have changed significantly. Ricky, I think Maybe your last point is he got advice
1: too that he needs to get the hell away from Tracy Clay's.
2: Yeah, well, I, <laughs>
1: I mean, say, come on, like
2: I can't say that would be the worst advice, but who's to say? <laughs> um, Yeah, I I think it's like a measurable thing with Ashby, to be honest with you. I think he's a really good college linebacker, and I think he's got the capability, obviously, and we've seen him play really good football, Um, but I think that the type of linebacker that he is, he's a little bit undersized, so if you're going to be undersized at the next level, you better be athletic to carve yourself out a niche, and he's not really all that athletic and fast at, at the linebacker position, so that kind of way of playing at the NFL level. I mean, that game's changed a lot. And if you're going to be undersized, you better be fast as hell and Ashby isn't. So I think it's a matter of just trying to carve out a niche and, and try to make it in camp somewhere. Maybe, I mean, maybe somebody takes a flyer on him late, just given what they've seen from him at Virginia Tech. But I think it's a situation where he probably realized he wasn't going to be able to raise his draft stock a whole heck of a lot. And it was just going to be the chips having to be stacked against him because of his size and his measurables, which I mean, we've seen, we've seen it before. You know, sometimes that's a, that's a pertinent reason to not draft somebody. Sometimes it's not. Um But yeah, I, I would love to see Ashby succeed at the next level. Um, I just think that that's the reason why he left and isn't coming back to school. And I think Ricky nailed it.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, for me, it's just tough because I mean, you look at the analytics from this year and Ashby came in, I mean, this is analytics. We can talk about the analytics and the PFF stuff. And short but sweet, he wasn't good. He was he wasn't one of the top linebackers in the conference. He really wasn't one of the top he linebackers. Was in the- he was actually yeah. bad for most yeah. of yeah. the year. Thank you for saying
1: it. <laughs> yeah. he, no, I I liked him, but he was bad. He he did not play good football.
0: Yeah, he came in overweight and just didn't play good football. And there's that was obvious- so frustrating. That was so aggravating that he came in overweight. He looked like he was 260 pounds. He did not look like a linebacker. He didn't look like a linebacker before. He was too big to be a linebacker before, and then he got – but he played well. And then this year he came in way too big to be a linebacker, and he didn't play well. And when he was playing well in 2019 and even in 2018 when he was the centerpiece of a defense that had a lot more questions than answers at that time, he was solid and he was consistent and that's got to be one of the bigger surprises and disappointments of the 2020 Virginia tech season is that he didn't perform. I think a lot of that comes down to, I mean, you take a guy like Rayshard Ashby, who is too big to be in his position anyway, obviously his body type, you know, it works in a certain way, but when you're on campus for 11 months out of the year, when Virginia Tech's nutritional staff, God bless them, they feed you, they tell you exactly what to do to put your body in perfect shape. And then COVID happens in March and you send all the kids home back to, I guess, Rayshard from Richmond and you don't have that support. So it's not surprising. And then Rayshard himself, I believe, contracted COVID. I believe that's the thing that happened. So not much of an off season at all. And I think that given the full circle coming back, a full-off season, all that time on campus, nutrition, weight training, getting even more acclimated to Justin Hamilton's defense could have done him some favors. But like you guys say, just the physical measurements, it's never like he was going to be even a fourth-round draft pick to begin with. Bittersweet, in a sense, hope the best for him. I'll, I'll remember the good times. I'll just try to forget the 2020 season altogether. Divine Diablo, though, that's a guy who... Was the leader of this Virginia Tech defense last year at, at safety. Big, imposing body. He's going pro. Right now, McShea has him as the 180th overall prospect, 14th off the board for safeties. I kind of believe in Divine Diablo as. A guy who could develop into a, a formidable NFL player if everything goes right. Where do you think the range of him getting taken is? And, and do you agree with my hunch, you could call it, that that he might actually be pretty good? Depends on how he's used. Um,
1: if, if an NFL team tries to make him a free safety, I think that's a horrid idea. Um, if they try and use him in kind of the box safety sense something like a, a Landon Collins type um, someone who spends most of their time closer to the line of scrimmage tries to limit their their exposure and coverage I think that he you know would have a chance to to carve out a role I definitely think he's a guy you bring in for special teams for sure um, he's divine is someone who definitely, uh, surprised me over the course of his career, because quite frankly, I, I never really thought he was all that great of a safety in his first year there, um, but he slowly improved and became a reliable player, and I never think um, Devine was really a great safety at Tech, but I do think he was reliable, consistent, and that alone is a, an extremely valuable quality that is becoming rare and rare nowadays um so that that kind of reliability consistency will will give him a chance to to earn a spot it's somewhat similar to a guy like chuck clark who had a i think a better career at virginia tech than divine diablo had but chuck was not really seen as someone who was going to make a, a living in the nfl and all of a sudden he's turned himself into the starting safety for the baltimore ravens and he's become a quite good safety i might add um Divine has that potential. Um, a lot of things will have to go right for for his career to work out. But if he's used properly, and and you know he does get a stroke of luck, I do think he can carve out a role in the league.
2: I agree. Um, I think that he has an opportunity to be pretty good. I think it also you know depends on how he's used. I think that situation where he's up close to the line of scrimmage and kind of like a box safety is perfect for him and his skill set. Uh, if he develops into a better guy in coverage, that would be all the better, although we didn't really see that kind of jump this year. I thought he had a good year, not a great year, um, but I think that that's the case with a lot of guys. You lose that offseason of development, and it really hurts, and that's one area where I thought that he could really improve his draft stock, and I didn't see enough in pass coverage this year to render him being a, a high, a higher pick. Um, I think McShea is probably a little bit too low on him, truthfully. I think that he probably could be picked as high as the fourth round. I would not be surprised to see him picked early in, or I'm sorry, late in the third round, even. But I think the sweet spot for him is probably that fifth or sixth round range. I think he has a chance to develop into a pretty good player. I like his size and his speed and what he brings to the table. And he's a willing and able tackler. So no complaints about his Virginia tech career in totality. I thought he had a pretty good year. Uh, This year, I think he was one of the bright spots of the defense, and I think he has a chance to be pretty good at the next level, but it will depend on situation and how he's used for sure. Uh,
0: One other one I got for you guys in terms of dudes declaring for the draft, Gerard Hewitt, who was supposed to be in his final year of eligibility, has declared for the NFL draft. Keep in mind, he would have gotten that extra year of eligibility. Due to COVID-19, everyone in the NCAA got one. Gerard Hewitt. High character guy wasn't that good. I mean, I, I don't see him as a future pro. Going to the pros, what do you guys envision this as? Kind of just a flyer, putting his name out there, kind of saying, I don't want to go through the grind of another college football season. I, I, I've done it. I just kind of want to move on. Or what, what's the take? Am I wrong in that sense? I may not be the best person to talk about this. Um,
1: I've never been high on Jared Hewitt ever. Uh, from the time he started playing till the end of his career at Virginia Tech. Um, He was wildly inconsistent. He was extremely unproductive for most of his career. I thought he was a liability for a lot of it, and that's a shame um, because obviously a lot of people around the Tech program have extremely high opinions of him, um, even though he threw a temper tantrum in the middle of the game, cost his team 30 yards, and got ejected. (laughs) <laughs> um, so, look, I'm not really sure what's going to happen. I don't think Jared Hewitt really has an NFL future. He certainly could prove me wrong. I hope he does. Um, but this is another situation where, if I were him, which obviously I, I can't be, um, I, I think I would have stayed another year and tried to enjoy another year of of football, at least guaranteed football. Because if he comes back, he's another he's a starter for another year for sure. Just given the lack of depth at defensive tackle, although, to be fair, I thought Mario Kendricks, Narell Pollard and, and returning to Sean Crawford would certainly uh, challenge him for snaps on the field. But and, and maybe that was part of his decision making. But I do wish Jared the best. Um, I just I, I don't I don't see him um, having really a, a, a chance to carve out a role in, in the NFL. You'd probably
2: have to be a defensive end or something. I mean, he's not cut out for interior defensive slow. line. He's too base too slow. yeah, and that's the issue. so i he's definitely not a defensive tackle to the next level. so i I don't know.
0: I mean, you could truly make the argument that just size measurements wise, right? He wasn't really cut out to be a defensive tackle. When they switched from the Bud Foster defense to the Hamilton defense, he he was undersized in that regard, let alone. He's been able to
1: get by for a little bit because he's such a strong guy. I mean, this is a guy who was a power lifter in high school, but you can't get away with that in the NFL.
0: Last note when we talk about who's leaving, who's staying, what's going on, blah, blah, blah. Actually, I have two more notes. Uh, First things first, staying. You mentioned Deshaun Crawford. That's a big one. Huge, massive. But I think even bigger from an offensive perspective is that James Mitchell, who was on McShay's board as the number three tight end, number three out of all of them, has decided to come back, stay another year at Virginia Tech. The Big Stone Gap native certainly looks to be a, a focal point of that offense. So You're the, big,
1: the biggest returner, Amari Barno.
0: Oh yeah, no Amari Barno too. That, yeah, that, I mean that's
1: true. that's massive. That guy is going to be a stud next year. I'll be shocked if Amari Barno doesn't have ten sacks and eighteen to nineteen tackles for loss next year. He's going to be really, really productive as long as he gets a full off season with Link and Tap. Legitimate,
2: legitimate first team All ACC contender. I mean, seriously, he- a defensive end. I know it sounds insane because it's his like second full year playing the position. But seriously, with what he showed this year with an added off season, a development, well, under like his staff, yeah, he's got he a was great already,
1: opportunity. I believe he was already in the top five in tackles for
0: loss nationally. For a while, I think he was number one in the ACC, and that's a conference with, I mean, just right off the bat, everyone on Clemson, everyone on <laughs> Notre Dame. <laughs> yeah. Miami yeah. had Rousseau and Phillips and Roche. Pittsburgh had... Those two really solid defensive ends. Duke ha- has a couple. I believe I can't even pronounce the guy's Victor name. Victor The only you. reason I know how to pronounce is. that
1: is because Tech wanted him when he was a recruit.
0: Ah, there you go. But yeah, no, certainly that guy has the potential to be a stud. Uh, but just looking at Mitchell, number three tight end of the board, and between him and Turner, that looks to be the focal point of Virginia Tech's pass attack next year. What's the ceiling there? What What do you want to see out of Mitchell in 2021? Because God knows this team is going to be relying on him. And if he puts in the right work and plays his cards, right, I mean, right off the bat, I, I, I still see him as kind of a skinny guy. You go to the weight room a little bit, start looking more like an NFL tight end, and you put up the production during the season. Is that a first or second round pick?
1: Um, I don't think he's going to be a first or second round pick. Uh, I, I do think he has the potential to be an NFL player for sure. He's more of a wide tight end than a, a guy who's in line. Um, if he does happen to maybe add 10 or 15 pounds to his frame, then maybe we can talk about him being in a, like a, a traditional tight end in that sense. But I think the main thing for me with James Mitchell is I want the offense to utilize him more. I want them to find ways to get the ball in his hands consistently and not four or five times a game. He's one of their best playmakers. Arguably, he's their most consistent and reliable playmaker. You have to find a way to get the ball to that guy as many times as possible. Um, Tech did not do that in 2020. They need to make sure they do that next year.
2: I think he definitely has potential to be a first or second round pick. I think if not, he probably wouldn't have returned to school. I think he probably got an evaluation that told him he was one of the top tight ends on the board. But then I think if you look at it and you say, okay, maybe I'm a top five tight end, can I be a top three tight end or or one of the best tight ends in the draft next year? I think that's the reason why you return to school. So I think he has the opportunity to be that, but... I think it really kind of hinges on what he does in the weight room um, because I think from a talent and skill set standpoint, you know, he's been a good blocker and he's definitely a path, a great pass catcher and a guy who can really move after the catch. That's not a question at all. It's just what is his fit going to be from a uh, from measurable standpoint? The next level, obviously, he's got the height, but what kind of tight end is he going to be to Ricky's point? I think that's the big question with James Mitchell, not the capability. He can definitely be an NFL player, but I think his how high he's drafted is contingent on what kind of tight end he envisions himself being moving forward and then molding himself to that this off season and then into next season, obviously on the field.
0: Indeed. Indeed. I'm just quite frankly, I'm happy to see him back of all the ins and outs, departures, whatnot, I figured that he would have been one of them. But the Big Stone Gap native, Southwest Virginia and doesn't favor for sure. Yeah, yeah. For, good, for good reason. For good yeah. reason. I hope he ends up getting that Oregon softball player that all the teammates are consistently tagging his name and pictures that I always think that's very I, funny. That's news to me. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, I'll send you guys the messages. It's a pretty <laughs> funny, it's a pretty funny team stick that I picked up on, but last, but not least, I keep talking and bringing up new topics because that's what I do quickly <laughs> for a second. Khalil Herbert, not even ranked as one of the top 20 running backs. Do you think he deserves to be one? Absolutely. Yeah. Um...
1: He displayed extreme, more ex- ex- exceptional vision. Um, he did run behind a pretty good offensive line. But I think when you look at his ability to find the gap, ability to run after contact, um, carrying the ball was not an issue this year. I mean, I don't know how many fumbles he may or may not have had this year, but I don't recall it being a problem. Not many. Real Herbert. Um, He, I think he's just a real stud. He provides value as a, as a punt returner and a kick returner as well. Um, I know that there's always a ton of running backs, but I'd be shocked if Kalu Herbert doesn't get drafted um, at least as a day three pick. I don't think he's an elite running back in the sense that he's a, a, a transcendent talent that requires a first or second round pick, but he's definitely a guy who has some tools and as the NFL just continuously becomes more and more of a running back by committee league where you have guys who carve out specific roles on teams. I definitely think he can he can find himself on a roster for at least a few seasons.
2: Totally agree. Um size, I think, is probably a little bit of an issue. I think that's probably something that's hindering his draft stock a little but bit. Guys is- like
1: Austin Scott, Right. Who's like <laughs> <laughs> it's like, like five, five five seven <laughs>
2: they find they find spots for those guys they'll find a spot for Cleo Herbert uh the vision uh, Ricky that's the best part of his game man the vision that you mentioned the burst right the ability to make guys miss in the open field kick returner punt returner he's versatile he has that ability too man I, I would put I would put good money on him being one of the t- first 20 running backs selected seriously like I know that you know, there are a lot of running backs every year, but man, I I can't envision 20 guys better than Khalil Herbert. I really can't, um, especially with the year that he had, especially if he gets into a system where he's behind a good offensive line. You're telling me he can't be capable even as a third down back. Give me a break, man. I, I would definitely take a, a mid to late round pick on him. I think he's definitely got an opportunity to be very good.
0: Yeah, Mike, you put it the best way there. It, it, what I'll always remember about Khalil Herbert was it started with, the patience and it ended with the burst and and there's a reason that he put up historical numbers ACC wise for the first few games and it's not just because he was running behind a good offensive line he is a very solid back and like you said the measurements might be an issue for him it'll be interesting to see how the combine goes I think he has to have a good combine but he has enough on tape that someone will at least give him a shot uh, last but not least, this is for real when we're talking about football here, last but not least, because i never mentioned this before, another transfer from Power 5, Tay Daly. Am I pronouncing that right? Tay Daly from Vanderbilt yep. heading to Virginia Tech. I don't know anything about him, guys. Is this a guy that can contribute right away for the Hokies?
2: Yeah, third on the team in tackling for Vanderbilt in the SEC. I mean, you're going to have a guy step in and, and play safety, That's and you're trying to get a defense back out of the portal. That's a good one to get. Vanderbilt's defense actually not – uh, like I mentioned actually earlier in the podcast, not objectively terrible this year. The offense was the real issue. So a good capable player who sh- should step in and play right away for Virginia Tech, I would assume. It's a good guy to re- try to replace Divine Diablo with, I would think.
1: I, I am curious to see how Keontae Jenkins plays in a next year's team. Yeah. Because he kind of came on fast and then we never heard from him anymore. <laughs> so I'm not really sure how it's going to play out. But no, Daly is someone that, it's almost like an insurance policy at worst where at least you have a, a, a veteran guy who's been, who's played in some big games in the SEC, obviously didn't play for a good team, but someone who was, was productive in a bright spot for a team that didn't win very many games. So um, definitely a, a good addition. Um, all things considered that's about as good of an addition as you're usually going to
0: get in the transfer portal. Definitely fills a hole. And, and, are, while we look forward transfer portal is not over if you were talking to Justin Fuente and his staff and you, and you could get one word in what's the one position that you would tell them to attack with the time they have left in the transfer portal quarterback <laughs> all right disc, okay discluding quarterback we've already talked offensive about quarterback
2: line. offensive line if it's not gonna be quarterback, it's got to be offensive line um and I think some people would argue receiver as well but they got some guys um who didn't play this year or played a limited role that I think could play a bigger role with another offseason of development and health. So, Jaden Payew's the guy who stands out as a guy who was going to be a, a big contributor to the Virginia Tech offense that got hurt. Changa Hodge, he came in and then never really played. Okay, does he have this offseason of development now? He was a very productive receiver at Villanova, transfers into the program, only had like a few catches, I think, this year. Didn't really get get on the field all that much really until like the last handful of games for tech so expect him to have a bigger role and then you know you got Tavion Robinson you got Trey Turner and you got James Mitchell I mean you have a pretty decent wide receiver room if they can produce and that was the big issue this year obviously so I would go and get probably another wide receiver or two in the portal I mean there got to be plenty of guys so we're looking for new homes but the number one place I would look uh, from a position standpoint, has to be offensive line. You've got to get more depth on the line. It was an asset to the team this year. This is going to be a run-first offense for as long as Fuente and Cornelson are running to show your offensive line absolutely has to be
1: good. Running back is another one I would look at. Um, I'm not convinced that Jalen Holston is going to be the guy for the entire season. Keyshawn King didn't break into the role last year. None of the other guys got carries, even when Khalil Herbert was injured. Um, finding a capable and productive running back with experience would be a, a a really nice addition to this offense.
0: I I like what I saw out of Holston at this point though, I'm always going to say we need to tax attack some interior defensive linemen just from what we saw this year. And I like Pollard and I like Kendricks and all of those gentlemen, but these guys were recruited for Bud's system and that is not what we play anymore Crawford's gonna make a
1: big difference yeah
0: no Crawford will and it it is amazing to think how a, a Timmy Settle or a Ricky Walker would have been able to thrive in Hamilton's defense but we simply don't have that and I don't know what caliber of a guy you can get in the portal right now in that regard but that's also something to look at. I like the wide receiver look. And like you mentioned uh, with Changa Hodge, Fuente actually highlighted that during one of his, I think it was the final press conference after the Whit press conference. He said, this guy was in quarantine until like week three. He never really had time between slight injury quarantine and just what it takes to pick up the offense to truly thrive. So good for him that he gets an extra year. Uh, last thing we'll touch on basketball. Virginia Tech now two and one in the ACC. They lose to Louisville last night. A hot start, 11-0 run. Ice cold during the middle. Hot at the end. They ultimately lose by a point. Jalen Cohn looks really good. I, because I was in New Jersey for three weeks and didn't have the ACC network. That sucks. Am <laughs> kind of uninformed on what's going on i didn't get to watch that miami game we were recording during the Clemson game so i don't really know where we stand luckily mike mcdaniel's a basketball expert oh, all right packer. hold on hold on pa- <laughs> or, 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 Expert maybe a bit too strong of a term there or so <laughs> they say but mike you know this team packer and durham when i listened on monday Both of them unanimously had Virginia Tech as the number one team in the ACC. I guess the resumes to that point would reflect that they basically had the same resume as Clemson with a win over Clemson. Where do you truly believe this team is?
2: Yeah, so I think in a normal year in the ACC, I think that first of all, let's start with this. I think this team's good. Like, I do think this team's good. I I don't think they're the best team in the ACC, regardless of what this year tells you. I think in a normal year when like you have Duke and North Carolina and Louisville, Louisville's actually pretty good. I mean, we saw it last night, Louisville beats Virginia Tech. Um, but in a normal year where these teams are playing up to their capability, I think Virginia Tech with the roster they have and how they're playing would be a team that's in certainly the top half of the conference. I would say probably like five or six. Um, the fact that they're near the top of the conference, a few spots higher than that after last night's loss tells you all you need to know about what the ACC has been so far this year. Um, they are they are a very good team. There are a lot of teams also in the ACC that are that are very good. Virginia Tech's also very streaky, right? So offensively, the issue that I've seen so far is that this is a team that while they have more balance this year than they've had um, in recent years, even under Buzz Williams, as good as that Sweet 16 team was, this team is – I think from a front court and back court standpoint, very balanced. Maybe they don't have that star power of the team a few years ago that made it as far as they did in the NCAA tournament, but they're really balanced. I mean, Kevin Aluma has been pretty good. I don't. I think he's a good player. I don't think he's like as flat out outstanding as Virginia Tech Twitter makes you think sometimes when he has a really good game because he has a tendency to be really streaky too. But he's the best big man Virginia Tech has since Blackshear certainly. And he's a true big like Virginia Tech hasn't had front court depth like this in a long time. And it's nice to be able to look and see that they have Aluma and they have Cordell Pencil and they have Justin Mutz. You know, guys that you can rotate in David Gusson, who's played a good bit as a true freshman, played the most out of any of the freshmen, which I think is, is a surprise. They got depth in the front court. They haven't had a lot of guys contributing right now. Um, The guard play, even with cartier Jada opting out, the guard play has been overall pretty good. With Beattie, what you see is what you get at this point. Good defender, produces for his teammates, isn't going to give you a ton from a scoring standpoint. Um, But other guys like Hunter Couture, I think, have taken a step forward and have become more consistent. So I like this team. Probably a little bit streaky, certainly streaky on the offensive side. Um, Too many turnovers, I think, overall. Last night was a little bit better. They finished with either 10 or 11 turnovers, but they had three in the final like five or six possessions, which absolutely sunk them in a game that they probably could have won if they played a bit better against Louisville. Um, But it's really encouraging to see Virginia Tech go down by a bunch last night against Louisville, claw their way back into it, um, and lose close on the road. It's been an Achilles heel. Tech hasn't beaten Louisville in nearly 30 years. It's pretty wild to think about. Um, But I do like this game a lot. I think they're a tournament team for sure, especially with the state of college basketball and what we've seen out of teams elsewhere across the country. Um, But this is a team that's going to keep developing They're probably a year or two away from reaching their full potential and their ceiling. But I really like where they're headed. And I think having two early season top 25 wins under your belt in Villanova and Clemson really helps in a year where you certainly don't know how many games are going to play, which hasn't really harmed Virginia Tech so far outside of that UVA game. But We anticipate that it'll be a problem here throughout ACC play. The games will get canceled, postponed, what have you. So good to have those two early top 25 wins.
0: Yeah, no, certainly agree, Mike. And it's kind of a weird dichotomy, I guess, insofar as Virginia Tech is deep, and certainly compared to last year, they're balanced. But the inconsistency offensively seems to go – in waves, and to some degree maybe that has something to do with the fact that this is given all the transfers that are playing a big role here a new team that didn't have the proper amount of time to develop because of COVID I mean you can see that with the regular freshman powerhouses like Duke and Kentucky across the country suddenly given the circumstances those teams aren't performing well but Ricky, I want to ask you, because this hasn't really been talked about as much as I thought it would. Karche Jara or Diara, if you read things as they're written, no longer <laughs> no longer with the team. Do you think that has like an outstanding impact on this team's potential? I mean, he was one of the most hyped up players going into the season. Well, he was over right from the start.
1: Let's go ahead and get that out there. Ding now. ding ding. I well, and who said that, Mike? You did. Exactly. Thank you. I will, I will gladly take a victory lap on that one. Look, um, Diara Jarda, however you want to pronounce his name. I apologize if I'm offending anyone. Um, he's a good player, but he's not this, um, seriously highly impactful guy that's going to wreck tech's chances at making the NCAA tournament. He makes an impact and having him would be better than not having him. Um, But I also don't think he was someone who was worthy of playing 30-plus minutes a night, which I think he was at the start. That's just not necessary. I don't think he offers that much. I think Tech will be fine without him. The main thing, as you guys have mentioned, is them finding more consistency with their shooting. Basically, when Tech shoots the ball at an average or better level, they have a good chance to win. If they shoot the ball like crap, they have a very little chance to win. The fact that they made the game last night against Louisville close – is it an extremely encouraging sign because they did not shoot the ball well at all and they only lost points on the road against a very good Louisville team that is well coached and has good talent so Tech has a chance to be really really good I think right now they're just good Um, we need to see them become more consistent offensively if they do that everyone else in the ACC needs to watch out if they don't Tech is going to probably make the tournament as like an eight or a nine seed, maybe a ten, um, and they they may be be able to win a game in the tournament. But if they can find just a bit more offensive consistency, this is a team that has a chance to maybe be a six seed. I think yeah. that's probably I think that's probably the ceiling. Five tops but I think it's more like a six or a seven yeah but even that I mean no one's complaining about that in Blacksburg right absolutely not
2: not in year two of Mike Young man that's like absolutely not we thought we thought last year remember there was a point last year where we said oh my god this team's like overperforming they look like a tournament team let's see how they play the rest of the ACC play then they faded quickly yeah, um, I don't think this team is going to fade as quickly in ACC play this I year. Think in fact, so I think with with their balance and their guard play and yep. what they and depth and they've done enough. I think offensively, at least from what I've seen so far, that even when they do go cold, right, in stretches. Last night was a great example, Ricky. They go cold in stretches against Louisville, and Jalen Cohn just kind of pulls them out of it, right, and Nahima Lean kind of pulls them out of it. They've had enough of those types of contributions this year, even when they've gone through cold stretches during games that it, it kind of gives you hope. This isn't, isn't a team that's just going to roll over and lose like five or six in a row. It feels like they're going to have some of these spurts in these games, but then they're going to be able to bounce back and win some of these toss up 50, 50 games. That they didn't win a year ago. So I agree, man, like year two under Mike Young, this is about all you can ask for. It's better than you can ask for, I think. And, you know, I think the, the way that Mike Young continues to recruit, right? And talk about Darius Max and Joe Bamisil, those are two guys we talked about. David Gusan was a guy that didn't really receive the same type of hype coming out of high school, but he's the guy who's playing the most down low. He's a little bit raw offensively, but I love his defense and his rebounding and the energy he brings to the floor when he's out there. This is a team that's going to be set up for a while with the guys that they've brought in. So this isn't just going to be a a one or two year thing for Mike Young. They're going to be good for a while, I think.
0: Yeah, the last thing I have to say about this would be you look at last year when, as Mike just mentioned, they get off to a little bit of a hot start. Obviously, they beat Michigan State early on, and it's like, wow, this team, they're overperforming. Well, they were overperforming. That team required Landers and to go off in order for them to pick up victories. This team is much more balanced. They're a better overall team by far. They've shown... Though at times they've been inconsistent, they've showed a more level of consistent play that you can count on. Combine that with a weaker ACC, which is huge. This team is ahead of schedule, and I think that they could be a tournament team. And remember, folks, Mike just said, year two of Mike Young, this is all you can ask for. When me and Ricky did our podcast prior to the season, and we talked about what goals looked like, we comped it to Buzz Williams year two, where they won a round in the NIT, got some momentum that let them go on a three-year NCAA tournament streak. We're already kind of looking past that. We're already looking at this team as a tournament team. And I think that Buzz's team might have had higher expectations coming into the season. So that being said, when I look at my my beloved Washington football team here playing in the playoffs with the seven. And nine record. What does Brian Rivera say? He says we're playing with the house's money. Well, if Virginia Tech keeps overperforming, you can lose a close one against Louisville because you're playing with the house's money. What you can't do is you can't do what Mike Young's year one team did last year, where knowledge just went ice cold. the The freshmen weren't used to the grueling nature of an ACC schedule and certainly the high level of a competition that you see in the ACC and, and they flamed out and they lost a bunch in a row and the dream was dead. I don't think that team will do that here, but I will say the UVA game that got canceled, that would have been a nice data point. COVID's a shame, no surprise, right?
2: Yeah. It would have been nice to have that because UVA is another program right now it has been kind of up and down. I think they're in a much similar spot to Virginia Tech, which I don't think a lot of people were expecting coming into the season, but I think they're a lot closer to Virginia Tech than a lot of people anticipated.
0: Yeah, Tiaquite and Braxton Key, a little more valuable than people may have uh, anticipated. Those are pretty big departures. Uh, do you guys got anything left to say? I feel like we've been talking too much. we got plenty of uh, basketball to talk about. We had a full other segment that we never got to, which I guess we'll get to in the next podcast. Uh, any parting words for the people? First podcast of 2021, gentlemen. Keep your heads on straight,
1: folks. Um, the last 48 hours has sucked. And I'm not going to get into it. If you really want to know how I feel about it, go on my Twitter. You'll see it. Um, Just keep your heads on straight. Don't do anything stupid. Um, This too shall pass as frustrating as it is.
2: Yeah, pretty good parting advice. Um, I've been trying to stay mostly off of social media because not only because of that, but because I've just been trying to stay off of it more um, in general. Which, you know, outside of promoting content and tweeting maybe a couple times a day, I've done a pretty good job of in the first week of 2021. So that was kind of like my New Year's resolution, so to speak. So, so far, so good.
0: Well, that's a shame, Mike, because I always use your social media addiction as justification for my social media addiction. (laughs) But uh, yeah, folks, times are uh, weird and tough. And, you know, a lot of people, myself included, kind of went in with this naive dream that 2021 you know the clock strikes midnight on new year's eve and suddenly everything would go away covid all the issues whatnot yeah welcome to real life that's not the case but i think that most of you know that the world isn't as bad of a place as your cable news makes it out to be and just love thy neighbor take care of your community and your community will take care of you and the rest will work itself out but that's going to do it for us here at the hokey hangover podcast As always, thank you to our good friends over at Main Street Pharmacy, Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg, pharmacy you want to go to, if you want a pharmacy that truly cares about you, we will be back. Like, say your little thing before Ricky steals it from you. Rate, review, and subscribe, baby. Rate, review, and subscribe, folks. Again, if you like this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. We want to have more people listen to us because apparently some people enjoy it. The numbers would indicate that. But when you rate and review, it actually puts us higher in the search results. So if you want to give me a late Christmas present or an early birthday present, birthdays in February, Christmas in December, here we are in January, do that. I'll really appreciate it. And it's free too. We'll be back until then. Stay safe. Have fun. Stay sane. Go Hokies.